The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. Hey everyone, today we're going to share an episode that originally aired in 2019. It was my interview with Leland Barker, the race director and founder of the Bear 100 Ultramarathon. Um, the race just happened uh, just this last week. Thanks. Enjoy. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Chase Anderson, and uh, today I've, I've got Leland Barker with me today, the race director and, and founder of the Bear 100 Ultramarathon that's based here in, in Logan, Utah, of all places. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for taking some time. Um, I had the unique opportunity to participate, not race. Um, I could never run um, what these people are running, um, but was able to help out in aid and at at an aid station at mile 92 of this race and was there in the mud and rain, hail, snow, and lightning at the end of the race. And it is an, an incredible event that I think a lot of people might not even realize is right in our backyard here. Um, why did you start something like this, this, this 100-mile race in the, in, the, um, in the mountains here? Well, um, in 1996, I ran the Wasatch 100 mile endurance run, and I had such an incredible experience doing that and, and running well and finishing fourth overall. I was really excited about 100 mile races after my first attempt at it, and then I heard that there was a limit on how many runners could run in the Wasatch 100, so I thought to myself, well, it's time to start a new race then. <laughs> And so I just figured out a course in the mountains or around here. I, my original idea was to go from Logan to Bear Lake and call it the Bear 100. Um, it ended up in Idaho for the first eight years because of have a permit process that didn't quite work out in Utah. Um, so the race was in Idaho. It was a. Uh, it started and finished at Deer Cliff Inn, and it went up and headed south and did a loop and then back to the north and did another loop and then finished at Deer Cliff Inn. Um, we did that course for, for about eight years until we finally got the permit thing worked out so that we could do my original idea of finishing in Logan and ending at Bear Lake. Right, so it starts, where does it start? It, kind of the mouth of Dry Canyon? Is that, yeah, is that about where it, it starts? It goes up Logan Dry Canyon. It starts at Mount Logan Gibbons Park. And then ends in Fish Haven. Yeah. At Bear Lake. And that ends up being 100 miles. A little over 100 miles? 
Yeah, it's it's pretty close to a hundred miles, but sometimes runners do a little extra mileage getting off course. So. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to do a little extra, especially after already doing a hundred. But um, what what is the what does the race look like at elevation gain? Where does it take them through the mountains? What does that look like now? Well, it's around 21,000 feet of climb and about a little over 20,000 feet of descent because it finishes a little higher elevation than it starts. And um, there's there's a big climb going up towards Logan Peak, and then you take the South, the south Syncline Trail around to the first aid station 10 miles in, and then you drop down Latham Hollow to left-hand fork and then you climb back up again going up Richards Hollow and then you go down again to Cowley down to Temple Fork and then you climb again then you drop down to Temple Fork and then there's a pretty big climb up to uh, Tony Grove Lake that's about the halfway point a little over halfway when you're at Tony Grove and then after that <clears throat> the climbs aren't quite as big but you've already <laughs> been beaten up pretty good by the climbs you've already done so it's it's a pretty good challenge to finish from there a lot of runners drop out at beaver mountain because you know you still had another tough climb coming out of the franklin trailhead aid station and then drop down to logan river and then you climb back up again and drop down to beaver mountain and and it's a kind of a tricky trail coming down through there and i remember last year when i dropped out i was having trouble staying on my feet because <laughs> i was hurting so bad <laughs> what what's happening to the people's bodies like during this race I, like i saw people at mile 92 and people are just their bodies are giving up at that point what does that feel like for you you've run the race seven times um what is that what's your body going through while you're running something there's like this? all kinds of things that can go wrong you can have electrolyte problems where um you, you just your body's almost shutting down just won't won't work anymore it just won't do what you normally do you just can't keep running because you just feel awful um sometimes it's just maybe you haven't prepared as well as you should have like last year for me i hadn't trained that well so my legs were just hurting really bad <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I thought, I don't know if I can do another 25 miles, so I dropped out because of that. Um, there's a lot of different reasons why people drop out. Mostly it's just fatigue, uh, men mental fatigue, physical fatigue, uh, all of the above combined together to make it just look like an impossibility that you can even go on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we saw that at mile 92. We saw people coming in, a few people in tears just saying, I just want to be done. And what, why do people do this? Like I, that, that was my question. There's so many people who came through, um, quite a few who didn't even seem winded and then other people coming through um, just wanting to be done. What is it about something like this that, that people like doing like, and you've done it. What, what does that feel like to accomplish it? And why do you think people keep coming back to do these types of races? Well, when you do make it to the finish, it's such a big thrill because you've done something that is extraordinary and, and very hard to achieve. So the thrill of, of completing a hundred 
is, is just amazing. I remember when I finished my first 100, after all the trials I went through to finish that, um, I, I had I had problems. Uh, I got so sleepy towards the end of my first 100. I I was falling asleep running at one point. I, I was like nodding off, and I go, "Oh my gosh, I'm falling asleep running." Wow. <laughs> and and uh, um, so when I finished my first 100, and and as and when I ran it as well as I did, it was just a totally exhilarating experience and. You want to feel that again, yeah. <laughs> even though you know the next time you're going to have troubles. There, there, there's a, at some point along the way, something's going to happen that's going to make you want to quit. Uh, um, and if you can find a way to push through that um, and then actually finish, it just makes the, the experience that much better. That's what's most impressive, I feel like, is everyone knows that they're going to feel that way, but they do it anyways because the high is so much higher than the low. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't, yeah, haven't you, done it, but that's what I've heard. Yeah, you kind of forget about all the trials you went through to get there once you get there. Wow. Um, so, how many people participate? Like, what, what does participation look like? Um, you mentioned quite a few people drop out as, as the race goes on, but how many people start the race at least? We try to keep the Bear 100 at around 300 runners. So, we have a 350 sign-up limit because we know there's going to be some people that don't show up uh, last minute. Things happen. So, this last year we had a 311 start and there were about 204 that finished. Wow. That's that's a lot that, that end up dropping off. Where do they typically start dropping off during the race? Uh, they can start dropping as about as early as mile 28, mm. <clears throat> Cali Canyon, but not very many. A few might drop at <clears throat> mile 37, a few more at mile 44, and then from 50 to 75 is where you'll see most of them drop. If they can make it past Beaver Mountain, they have a good chance of finishing. Wow. Uh, what what's unique about this race compared to other ultra marathons around? Uh, did you strategically design the course in a way that it would kind of be a unique experience for people? Well, uh, the main reason I picked that time of year is because it's a slow time for me on the fish farm. Yeah. Um, but it turned out to be a perfect time of year for the fall colors. Mm. That's a big draw for this race. It's just gorgeous up there in the, at the end of September. And it's a tough course, which people like a good challenge. And it's a point-to-point. -point. People like point-to-point -point courses for some reason. Um, that's very popular. And it's very crew-friendly. Um, because a lot of the aid stations are right off the, you know, Logan, you drive up Logan Canyon and you can hit most of the aid stations fairly easily. Yeah, and the crew being the, <clears throat> those that are joining the runners or someone who's pacing or yeah. family and friends that are helping them, yeah. you, you know, coming in at eight, the aid stations, right? Yeah, and one, one more unique, really unique thing about it is it starts in one state and finishes in another state starts in utah finishes in idaho that's quite unique yeah what what's the landscape of ultra marathons look like if you've done them for a while and, and did your first in 96 or yeah. 97 um the wasatch 
how have they changed over time? I mean, you've been running this one every year ever since. Um, do they look different than they did before? Are they more popular? Um, what's, what's that look like? When I started doing 100-mile races, there were maybe 15 or 20 100-mile races in the country. And they weren't that popular yet, but about 10 years ago, there was a big surge in popularity in 100-mile races, and they started popping up all over the place. If you look at Stan Jensen's site called run100s.com, he has a list of all the 100-mile races in North America, um, and it's staggering to see how many there are now. I, I, the list is so long, I didn't even take time to count it. it it's, there's well over 100 races now in Northern Amer North America. Wow. How, how do people find your race? Is, that, is it a lot of people who have done it before? <laughs> I imagine there's a lot of word of mouth. People who have done it before tell other people. How do people find out about the Bear 100? And what, is, what do they walk away saying after they complete it? Um, it's mostly word of mouth. In the early years, we advertised in Ultra Running, Ultra Running Magazine, and the race grew slowly. First year, we had 17 runners. Next year, we had 20. Then we had about 40, then about 50, then about 60. And it was just a gradual increase for about the first 10 or 12 years. And then all of a sudden, about eight years ago, it went from like 150 to 250 <laughs> in wow, one year. Big, <laughs> big took a big jump, and uh, it's mostly word of mouth because people come and they run the course and they're so excited about it, about it. They tell their friends, "Oh, you got to do the bear," <laughs> and it's so popular that uh, we, after our, the race fills, it fills every year. We have 350 signups, and then by January, February, March, there's another 150 or to 200 runners that are on the waiting list to get in. It's really? become so popular. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. <clears throat> That's good to hear that after they finish, they, they tell other people to come and do it, right? That's yeah. the last thing you probably want as a race director is people walking away saying, don't do that one. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, but the conditions, I, I imagine, make it a really interesting race as well. You you planned it around the great fall colors, and we saw some while we were up there, but we also saw snow, lightning, <laughs> um, hail. Um, I imagine scheduling it around that time, there's a little bit of unpredictability with, with the weather. And I know you have some stories around um, you know, some of the weather issues that you've run into. It, does that make it an, an especially unique race for the runners? Do they kind of embrace that challenge of, I don't know what the bear is going to look like this year? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very unpredictable. It could be hot one day and it could be snow in the next. You never know what's going to happen. So that that's part of the excitement is <laughs> what's going to happen at the bear this year. Is it going to be a nice day or are we going to get snowed on? Right. <laughs> yeah. You're, are you, are you going to get all of it? Yeah. Right? All of the above. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So, how long are, are people running? What's your fastest time? What, you know, who's who set the record for fastest time at the race? Uh, my fastest, I think, was around 21 hours, okay. a little over 21 hours. The course record is 17.50. Wow. That's pretty darn fast. Yeah. And when are people starting the race? So, you start on a Friday. Is right. it early morning Friday on a Friday? Friday at 6 a.m. 
And then a lot of people, the fastest are ending middle of the night the, the next day. Yeah, right around midnight or one in the morning is when usually when the first runner comes in. How, how does that, I mean, you've been at the, the, the finish there. Um, it's probably a different finish for a lot of people coming in in the middle of the night and maybe there's not a big crowd there <laughs> at midnight or one o'clock right, right. at Bear Lake. What is that like for some of the runners after running 100 miles to see very few people at the finish? Well, they're excited that they did it and ran so well for sure and they don't care that there's not a big crowd yeah <laughs> I, I finished early in the morning and i was just so so excited um when i finished my first one i had my family there and that's typical they have family and friends that show up at the finish to greet them and other than that there's hardly anybody just maybe the race director and the timing people yeah <laughs> so Putting together any event like this is a huge task. Like, why why did you want to do this? And and what are the things that you didn't know prior to getting into this business of of running a race? What do you wish you had known? Oh, <laughs> and have you gotten yourself in too deep? You can't stop now. <laughs> I didn't realize how much work it was going to be, but. I didn't really care. I, I just knew I wanted to do it and I figured I'd find a way. And that's the reason why I took two years to prepare for my first race because I knew it was going to be a challenge to, to find the people to run the aid stations and everything. And it would, it would need some t to take some time to get things together so that it would be a success. Um, and now it's grown to the point where I don't even know all the people that help out with the race. I, I meet people all the time that say, yeah, I helped at this aid station at, for the Bear 100. And I go, oh, yeah. Oh, th yeah. And job, we didn't thanks. we didn't meet until now. And I, <laughs> yeah. I helped at the at the end there. So um, what does your team look like? I mean, it's grown so much um, where the first race is, is you, you know, getting it going. Um, what does your team look like now? Like how, do, how is a race like this possible and who's involved? Well, there are like about four key people that uh, are on the committee, the race committee. Um, they're over, they have different responsibilities. I'm the race director and I, I <clears throat> answer a lot of emails and <laughs> uh, I'm checking my email all the time and, and taking care of runners' questions and stuff. And, um, uh get them what they need they come to me when they have when they have needs um <clears throat> and then there's doug garrett who is in charge of getting the permits which there are quite a few of them that we have to get especially working between states yeah you have to work with both the state of states, utah permits. various cities there's about eight different permits that we have to get for the race you have to work with the forest service because you're running on forest service land as well yeah plus the blm plus utah trust lands administration cache county logan city bear lake regional commission yeah there's just all kinds of people that <laughs> want uh, a little piece of the pie <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> um so and so he takes care of that for me which i'm very thankful for because that was a, the biggest headache for me um 
that drove me crazy for getting the permits. And then um, Michelle Hansen has taken over the job. It used to be run by Wayne Moore, who did a great job of uh, coordinating the aid station people and getting them all lined up. Mm -hmm. But Michelle Hansen took that job over last year, and she did a great job with that. Um, Ron, Ron Stagg is in charge of the trails, so course marking of the trails for the race, taking down the course markings. He lines up people to do that, and if any runners need need to do trail work, which is a requirement for the race. That, that's one reason they decided to let us have the race in Utah is because we have a trail work requirement. Hmm. Runners have to work on trails as, or do volunteer service for an ultra that's in the mountains, you know, where they they need to do trail work or clean up or whatever. Hmm. Um, so Ron's in charge of that, and he also helps line up people for aid stations. And and then my wife, she took over the job of uh, getting all the food ready for the aid stations. We uh, most of the food yeah. we supply, and then the the people that are doing the aid stations just come to our place and pick it up a day or two before the race. Which that was eye-opening for me. I'd never thought about all the work that goes into just preparing the food because who knows what a runner wants at, you know, at mile 25 to 50 to 92. What do people want to eat over the course of the race? And it was really interesting to see what people wanted at the very end. Um, yeah. It's pretty surprising. <laughs> um, you know, what you think they might want, they don't want it all. Um, and we, I know we gave out a lot of cheese quesadillas and warm chicken broth and a lot of them just didn't want to eat anything they just wanted something warm and to keep going so that's that's a huge task and and such an important part of the race as well and then it just staffing um staffing the aid stations how many people are involved at and how many aid stations are there throughout the race there are 13 aid stations along the course and it takes about six or eight people to run an aid station and the later ones, it's such a long time period. Sometimes we have shit do shifts. Mm -hmm. Did you have? Did you take over a yeah, shift? Yeah, we took over at seven a.m. Yeah. And there was a night crew that was before us that yeah. that you know worked all night, and then we took over for them in the morning, and then stayed until four in the afternoon. Yeah. So that's and ours was the final station. Ninety two is the last one. Yeah. So, um, what is um. How do, how do you think the race has impacted the local community? What do you think the local community thinks about it, especially maybe at the county level, just the public? Do you think the public knows that, that this is happening right in their backyard? Well, <clears throat> most people don't pay too much attention to it unless they're up there hunting or something. And we come in and we set up their our aid station right next to their hunting camp and then they're upset. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, people are going about doing their own thing and, you know, some people think it's really cool, I'm sure, and some people are a little annoyed by us, so for, we, we try and keep a low profile. And yeah, yeah. Well, and you don't need to advertise. <laughs> no. You've got enough. You've got enough people wanting to participate already. Um, how does this tie into the larger landscape of races? Are there qualifying races for for larger marathons what is what's that look like or yeah what does that look like well there are 
so-called bigger events that mm-hmm. the Bear 100 is a qualifier for, like uh, the Western States 100. It's one of the original four that uh, there were 400s that started up in the early days, and if you ran all four of them, you got uh, the grand, an award called the Grand Slam of Ultra Running. Mm. And West, so Western States is is one of the oldest ones and most popular and people really want to get in to run the western states and you have to have a qualifier mm. and they've chosen the bear 100 as one of the qualifiers to get into western states and then there's also a race over in europe called the um um the mont de blanc or something like that uh UT- utmb yeah, UTMB. It's also the Bear One Hundred is also a UTMB qualifier. Oh wow! So that I imagine that helps with recruiting. So you don't really have to advertise because you have people who want to do these larger races. They have to come and participate in a race like this. Yeah. So where does that? You get around three hundred people who are coming here. Where are they all coming from? Well, you probably get a variety. Yeah, we look in state, out of state, international. We looked it up. And there were runners from 38 different states this last year that participated and runners from 10 different countries. Wow. So they come from all over. Yeah. What did they say when they, they, uh, for a lot of people, it's probably their first time coming to Cache Valley. What did they say when they come and experience the mountains that we have? Uh, What have you heard? They're just so impressed by the beauty of the mountains, the colors and um yeah it's it's pretty unique to a lot of people how beautiful it is here well what is the what's the future of the race look like i imagine you're always in the planning stages of the next one um as soon as you finish one you're on to the next i imagine what does that what does it look like for you moving forward well as long as i'm healthy and you know I'm getting old, so I don't know. At some point, I I may have to find another person to to be the race director, but I I don't know how when that's going to happen. I think as long as I'm healthy and can do what I'm doing, I'll just keep going. And for you, you're going to run the next one. Sounds like <laughs> I'm thinking about it. <laughs> thinking. Okay, we don't want to commit you right here, but. <laughs> well, I, it's an event that I I found out about only a couple of years ago and had wanted to participate on the aid station side of things and, and help out. And uh, incredible to see these amazing athletes go through what they do. Um, and uh, to be just a small part of that was, was really fun for me to be able to help them at least get through a little bit more of the race and finish. Um, and I think this is... Uh, this is such a valuable asset to, to Northern Utah, to Cache Valley, to Idaho. Um, glad that you decided to start something like this here in our backyard. It really adds so much to the community and to the outdoor recreation industry as well. So, uh, how do people stay in touch and learn about the race? Um, you know, hear updates, if people want to run in it. How do we just, how do we stay in touch with you? Um, well, you can go to the Bear 100 website and contact me directly, or you can look it up on Facebook. Uh, that's very popular nowadays. There's all kinds of posts from people on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a runners group too on, yeah. on Facebook, a Facebook group with all, you know, former runners who are always sharing pictures and stories from the race. Yeah. Well, that's great. 
Leland, thanks for taking some time today. Um, again, appreciate all that you do and um, hope to see the race, you know, keep going on for years to come. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show. Thank you.